You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Ross Steele. Man. Hey, y'all. Uh, as I said, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. But today, to start off, uh, the, the title of my message is Bitter Hearts. And before we get to the passage today, we got to go back all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Uh, in comparison with Saul, uh, we see with Absalom here. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. Just in the same way that Absalom is very handsome in himself that we're going to see here, Saul was also very, uh, very handsome. And Absalom, we're going to see coming in the future, destruction may come through him, but also we saw how Saul, uh, there was destruction that came through him, and he was not fit to be king any longer, which is now what got David to his place. In verse 25 in our text today, now in all Israel, no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. And in that comparison, we see just like Saul, Absalom is popular because of his good looks, ultimately. He knew he had charisma. He knew how to talk to the people. He, he, he essentially kind of, kind of similar to a politician uh, in a way. They know what to say. They got good looks most of the time, not always. Uh, but in this case, Absalom had the good looks. He knew what to say. He, he found a lot of favor with the people. And there's no coincidence that they mention how handsome he is because that has a lot to do with the favor that he has found. And Absalom, he was a man of political destiny. Now that he's taken out Amnon, so we've come along the way. Absalom has killed his brother Amnon for raping his sister Tamar. So now uh, nobody's really, there's uh, uh, Kiliab, who's the second son of David, but we don't really hear much of him. Uh, so we're to believe here, at least in, in my, how I look at it, Absalom's really the, the, second, the second one up. He's got the political, he has the destiny to come and fulfill the throne once David is done. Uh, so he, he has to find favor. He's, he's, situ, he's positioning himself to find, find favor. And we're coming into the fact that uh, David has just brought his son Absalom back to the kingdom. But then he said, at where we finished off last week, he said, I don't, I don't wanna see his face. Uh, but he can come back, I just don't wanna see his face. Um, the problem with Absalom is his good looks camouflaged his bad heart. He didn't have pure motives and a lot of things he, he, he did or, or even what he's going to do. It, when, when he went to kill Amnon, a lot of people may be able to look at it and be like, no, that's justice. No, it was vengeance. And I talked about that in that text. There's a difference between justice and vengeance. And he took it into his own hands and he didn't allow the king to, to, to do anything about it, let alone the king of kings because he is a just God. And, 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 and justice will come, would have come to Amnon. Uh, we weren't able to see that because uh, Absalom decided, no, I'm gonna take it into my own hands. I'm gonna handle this mess. And you may wonder why, you know, why, why does it mention his hair? Like basically what's saying, all year he grows his hair out and then at the end of the year, he cuts his hair off and weighs it. Weird, but there was great pride in his hair and Absalom will lose his life because of it. And we're gonna see that here in the future. But because of the great pride he had in his hair, uh, there's a reason it was mentioned here. Because part of his good looks was his hair. I fully believe that. And, uh, and, and so, but for him, there was pride in it in a way of like, 
it's really weird that he would weigh his hair. Like at the, at the end of the day, it, the shekels, it, it boils down to about five and a half pounds. Has anybody in here weighed their hair? Probably not, okay? Oh, Phil has, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, so all that to say, um, some of y'all may notice something different about me. I have no hair now. Uh, I said, best sermon illustration ever. I'm just gonna cut all my hair off, right? No, it was an accident. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I was trying to cut my own hair and I went up the sides and I was trying to blend it and I went too high and I was like, oh, looks like I'm taking it all off now. Uh, so here we are. Uh, anyways, I'm not like Absalom. Uh, Absalom has a bad heart, okay? Uh, all that to say, we're gonna continue on in verse 27. Thanks, Devin. Uh, to Absalom, they were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. We see beauty, good looks, it runs in the family here. It runs in the family. Now, Tamar, uh, Absalom's daughter Tamar, was named after his sister Tamar, who was raped by Amnon. So we see that Absalom, he was a man of deep and sympathetic feeling. He wanted to honor his sister in this way. You know, not everything was necessarily bad about him. Like, he, he had sympathy and, and, he, and he cared a lot about his family. He cared a lot about certain people, and one of which being Tamar. So he has a daughter, and he names, uh, he names her Tamar in honor and respect of what was done to his own sister. Uh, and we continue on in verse 28. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. So now, as I said, we, David has brought Absalom back, but for two whole years, He's there without seeing his son, and his son had not seen his father. And now he's asking the question, why why has he even brought me here? Like, I could could have been better off. I would have had a lot more freedom where I was with my grandfather. Like, what what was the purpose of you bringing me back if you're not even going to talk to me, if you're not even going to reconcile with me? And he grows bitter in this. I mean, do you really blame, like, somebody calls you back to a place and then they just don't even uh, like talk to you or mind you any business. Like it, it's, it's weird. I don't, I don't blame him in the same sense, but he lets his bitterness grow and we're gonna see that. And what happened with David when he brought him back, he only offered a partial and incomplete reconciliation. It was, it was incomplete. Like he said, yeah, bring him back, but I'm, I'm not gonna see his face. And then for two years, he still doesn't go see his face. He doesn't wanna see his own son. That, that doesn't make sense to me. I think there's, there's pride on David's side, and, and because of that, bitterness is going to be coming from Absalom's side. And he grows in bitterness towards David and against David. And in this way, we're going to see a lot of things grow out of, because of this bitterness that is rooted inside of Absalom, a lot of things are going to come. And this is just the start that we see here uh, as he, as he uh, calls to burn Joab's fields. And we're going to see that right here in verse 30. We're going to continue on. Um, maybe here. Hey, Alex, you want to help me out, brother? There we go. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, therefore, he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. So he doesn't get his way. He's like, why is my dad not seeing me? He's called for Joab multiple times up to this point. Joab has not come so he decides, you know, it's kind of like modern day, no tech, like they left you on red type of deal. Like that's what's happening here. You know, he's calls for Joab, no, 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 no return. Uh, Joab doesn't come see him. So he says, all right, I'm just gonna get really crazy and dramatic here. And I'm just gonna go set your field on fire just to get your attention. I think that is, 
That is the start of all this bitterness. He's like, nobody's minding me. I'm just gonna throw a tantrum just so I can get some attention. That's what's happening here. And this is just the start for Absalom. And we see because of this how brutal and amoral Absalom actually is. He, again, instead of having patience, instead of maybe trying to go to, the, to David himself, but I think there's pride involved there as well. He's like, I'm not gonna go set my face before the king. He's gotta come you know, call me, you know, all these things. And I think ultimately it just grows in him. He has this unforgiveness, which turns to bitterness, and it's gonna, it's gonna boil over. And we look actually at Luke chapter 15. Uh, it says, uh, this is a comparison. This is a prodigal son story. If you, if, you, if you know it, then you're familiar with it. If not, it's right here on the screen. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is how a father should react when their son returns home. This is how it should. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's coming back. The son's coming back. He's repentful. What's the difference? Absalom's not repentful. He, he doesn't come with repentance in his heart. The prodigal son does return with repentance. And uh, verse 22 says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring on his hand and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. This is the story of the prodigal son and we're looking at Similar, little different circumstances, different context a little bit, but similar. The son returns. The difference is the prodigal son returned humble in repentance. Absalom returned burning Joab's fields. They're both at fault. David should have greeted him with, 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 with grace. He should, have, he should have greeted him with a celebration. I, I believe that's, that's what a father would do after he hasn't seen his son for as long as he has. And Joab, on the other hand, should have came with uh, humility and a repentant heart. See, also, God sometimes, he gets our attention by setting our barley fields on fire. You could look at it that way too. Joab had to get the, or Absalom had to get Joab's attention. God sometimes sets our fields on fire to get our attention. And we may see it as trial and tribulation, but really it's God trying to shake us up, say, what are you doing, my child? Why are you doing this? What are you going this way? I have something greater for you. Why are you still here? I want your attention. I want you. And he's chasing after us. And sometimes it looks like darkness, looks like spiritual attack maybe at times. That's where we need discernment. But I think really, God wants to get our attention in a lot of different ways, and sometimes it, it may take loss as Joab has lost his barley fields. For us, what is our barley field? What does it take? What are we giving, you know, what does it take for God to set on fire for us to pay attention to him? Charles Spurgeon says this, he, knowing that we will not come by any other means, sends a serious trial he sets our barley field on fire, which he has a right to do, seeing our barley fields are far more than his, are far more his than they are ours. A lot of times when we talk about the things that the Lord has given us, the things that he's blessed us with, 
We take it and we're like, oh, I did this, I got this, I achieved this, you know, this is mine, this is my, this is my house, this is my car, this is my finances, like look at, look, you know, and you're showing off, but it ain't yours. Let's be honest. It's all the Lord's, it all belongs to him. And we have to fix our mindsets to recognize that it all belongs to him. And it is all his, and he has every right to take it away if he so chooses. And that may be scary for some to hear, but it's the truth. And here at Life Church, we don't back down from the truth. We, 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 we preach the word as the word is written. We continue on in verse, uh, second half of verse 32. says, uh, now therefore, let me see the king's face. And if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. If there is any iniquity, Absalom has a lot of faith, confidence that, there's, that he didn't do anything wrong. Really, ultimately, is what it comes down to. And this is really a reflection of Absalom's belief that he is fully justified in what he did. When in reality, he's not. Because he went to play God for himself. He went to be judge, jury, and executioner. We continue on in the last verse uh, of the text today, Verse 33, so when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. What do we see here? He called for Absalom. Joab intercedes on behalf of Absalom. He goes to the king. Absalom gets Joab's attention, and then he sends Joab on his way to go talk to the king just so he could get a face-to-face with his own father. Imagine having to have to go through a middleman to talk to your own father. And we also see Absalom outwardly submits to David. He prostrates himself. He lays down before the king. He outwardly submits to David. But will he inwardly submit to David? We're going to get to that here in, uh, here in the chapters to come. And it's a long, crazy story. But uh, just a little teaser for you. No, he doesn't inwardly submit to David. And we're going to see that. And ultimately, how many years has it been since, since the very beginning of all this? Since Amnon has raped Tamar, we are at seven years. And the seven-year saga begins with lust, with Amnon and Tamar, and ends with a kiss. See, David finally sees his son, and he kisses him. Greets him with a kiss. Just as the prodigal son, the father in that story, he embraces him and kisses him. It is a great sign of affection in our lives to kiss the ones we love. And we don't know the heart posture of David ultimately in this, but we know Absalom, he's just peddling around, trying to get his way, trying to position himself. And we see that a legacy of bitterness will turn out bad for David, Absalom, and Israel. That is what's to come. It's a legacy of bitterness. It starts with David. It doesn't start with Amnon and Tamar and Absalom getting his way. It starts with David. We talked about generational sin, generational curses. We talked about it over, over the past probably month now. Almost every text I could pull out away that this is generational. And it's on us 
It's on us as, as sons and daughters or, or, or fathers and mothers or grandparents. Like, we gotta figure it out. What is, what is the sin in my life that, that can and will get passed down for generations to come that I don't want any longer? I know for my wife, Kelsey, and I, we've talked about our own, that, that we believe things maybe from our own families, and we're like, no, it stops here. It stops with us. And as we do it, then it works its way back. We, we begin to pray that it works its way back towards, towards our parents, towards our grandparents, or, or you know, so on and so forth. You have power. You don't have to live with it. And that's the good, that's the good news. Proverbs 10, 12 says this. Oh, hello. Maybe. Ah, thanks, Alex. Man, give it up for Alex again. It seems like every week I glitch up here. Uh, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Love covers all transgressions. The perfect love is that of the Father, the perfect Father. The perfect love is the one, Jesus Christ, who's laid himself down for us, covered a multitude of sins. See, David's forgiveness of Absalom was inadequate, leading to further outbreak of sin. But God's forgiveness of man's soul is adequate, a great deterrent to continued sin. You must be reminded that his forgiveness of us by sending his son Jesus has given us great victory and great authority over whatever sin that we may struggle with in our lives. Not to say that we're gonna get it right and we're gonna be perfect all, all our days because that's not it at all. But it's, we, we come and we approach sin with a repentant heart. When, when, when we do sin, do we just receive it, say, oh, well, or do we turn to the Lord, turn back from the sin, and repent? Unforgiveness breeds bitterness, and bitterness breeds rebellion. We're going to see that with Absalom, but maybe somebody in this house can relate this morning. Has there been any unforgiveness in your heart that has turned to bitterness? Towards a parent, towards a loved one, towards a coworker. Maybe you already have that bitterness and you've been dealing with it for a while and maybe it's turned to a rebellion in some way. That you just do everything opposite of whatever that person that you're, you're bitter towards has. Ephesians 6.4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other, other uh, translations, this is New American Standard, uh, other translations say, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I talked last week about the fear of God, the awe of God. It's important to have in our lives. It's necessary to have in our lives. And if we can have it, then we can pass it on to our loved ones. We can pass it on to our children, and they pass it on to for generations and generations to come. We have the ability to change this world, to, 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 to change an entire bloodline. Another thing that comes up after this, though, is that rules without relationship result in rebellion. <laughs> You may be in this house today and look at the word of God and say, there's so many rules, I don't know if I can follow it all. And then you take it, you receive it, and you're listening, and, 
and you read it and you're just like, yeah, these are just rules. But I know that I believe in God, but I'm not really like in a relationship. You're gonna continue to rebel and you're gonna continue to fall into sin and you're gonna, there's gonna be an outbreak of sin in your life and in and, 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 and your, and your children's lives and, and, and those closest to you are gonna get hurt the most. But we need that relationship. We need the relationship with Jesus in our lives to avoid the rebellion against God and his kingdom. See, a lot of people have this misconception that Christianity, that, that, that being a Christian is a religion. Yes, the, the world has labeled it a religion, sure, but what we're called to is not a religion. We're called to a relationship. You look at the laws of, of all this and, 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 and the laws of the Old Testament, and, and, and you think, oh, the, the, you know, we're still bound by these. Yes, we are still bound by the law. Those laws didn't just go away. The difference is that Jesus was sent to the cross to fulfill the law. If he hadn't, then yes, we would still be in the law, but we, are, we do not have that religion. It is not a law, it is a relationship with Jesus. And if we could just receive that over our lives today, we can receive that over, maybe if you need to stand in the gap for somebody today, our prayer team's gonna be up front here during this last song. And then we're gonna go into baptisms and it's gonna be powerful. But maybe you know somebody that is struggling with a sin and you wanna stand in the gap, come forward. Let us pray with you. There is no gap in the spirit. They don't have to be right here. You don't have to directly have your, your hand laid upon them to be praying for them. We need a fresh reminder of God's grace for our life. It is fully sufficient. It is adequate because of his son, Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're, and, and, and you're kind of been distracted. You've been confused with the whole religion relationship thing. Well, any of our prayer team, they're gonna be on the side over here and any of our prayer team members would be happy to talk about that with you after service. We're a praying church. We love praying with people. And maybe you're here today and you suffer, you struggle with bitterness in your heart. Maybe you struggle with unforgiveness, and you don't want it to turn to bitterness. I've been a rebel my whole life up until I knew Jesus. That's my dad, okay? And outside of that, I think we may look at it as like, yeah, I was being a rebel, but I think really, really in this world, the day and age we're living in, the most gangster and rebellious thing we can do is follow Jesus. I'm gonna be completely honest. If we're, we are called to make a difference and we are not bound by shame, we are not bound by fear because we have a great victory in the one we call Jesus. He's a living God, by the way. Living God that we get to serve. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.